Hi, Internet. My name is Jonathan Matos. And this is Melissa Matos. And this is Unboxing Story, where we explore narrative from the fringes. Before we get into our episode about Universal Monsters, we're going to do a little ad read. See you on the other side. So I want you to tell everyone what, <laughs> what you thought the Universal Monsters So I was all excited because I thought they were referred to as Universal Monsters because they were universal to the human experience. Right, that these monsters were like monsters that everyone could identify with. So much, but I looked it so up, and it turns out they're called the Universal Monsters because they're the monster movies done by Universal Studios. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, "Wait, really? That's yeah. it?" Yeah. So funny to me. So disappointed. Um, so the Universal Monsters include. Well, let, let me actually look up a comprehensive list because I know. So there's the three that are in the movie we watched. Um. Uh, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. So Frankenstein is obviously one. Well, Frankenstein's monster. I have to right. remember to say that correctly. Yes. Uh, Dracula. The uh, Wolfman. Uh, I think the the Invisible Man. The Invisible Man was. Uh, they owned that. And the Mummy. Right, the Mummy is uh, another big one. Um, also, so yeah, the two that are kind of taken to the side because of. Because I think the actors that did Dracula, Frankenstein, and and the Wolfman are probably like yeah, the, the most, three. you know, they just got some of the best they ones. They were amazing. Um, uh, oh, I love this. Users will continue with talkings, including monster franchises. Uh, Dracula, Frankenstein, the Mummy, the Invisible Man, the Wolfman, and the Creature from the Black Goo. Oh, right. The creature about the Creature from the Black Goo. Um, I don't think I've ever actually seen that one. Neither did I. We'll have to investigate that eventually. Yeah. Maybe we'll have like a cheesy monster Cheesy one. monster movie night. Because I was making <laughs> that delineation earlier because I was reading there's a quote from uh, Lon Chaney Jr. who is one of my favorite actors from that group and he was saying you know, they basically that they don't go to the emotional core of these monsters as much. Like, it must have been like later in his life he was talking about monster movies and I like there's a I think that there is a visceral especially men I think gravitate towards like Godzilla mm-hmm. and these like big like special effects things that aren't really the same. I have a respect for them, but I do draw more I'm drawn more towards the ones that are more dramatic and there's yeah. something like behind it. Um but yeah, we should do one about like the blob. Oh gosh, the blob. Like those <laughs> those like real cheesy Maybe we'll because we do have a our our father was like that was his big yeah he loved he loved really loved cheesy, cheesy monster movies modern and ancient don't um, matter when they're Tremors from. was one of his major like he loved all the Tremors movies um but yeah so we'll we'll try to find a way to subdivide them so we can yeah. have a few episodes about the different kinds um but so which one is your favorite of the Universal monsters definitely Dracula. Mm. I love Bela Lugosi's Dracula, mm. and we were actually discussing the the current state of vampirism. <laughs> <laughs> As like, we were watching the movie, make it sound like an art. <laughs> well, I guess it's an art to portray them. Yes, in a certain way, because they've become this very sadistic. Yeah, that that's what we thing. we kind of decided because I. I couldn't Sadistic put my finger on it. slash emo, which is a weird combination. Yeah. Well, that's the funny thing is that when it when I was younger, 
I used to, because a lot of, like, I talked about this with pop music. Like, if I saw an attractive person that sang, I immediately thought, oh, this person is vacuous. <laughs> but then, um, that's what they made vampires into. Yeah, this, like, this kind of good-looking teenage boy in, like, the Twilight series. Right. But then, the more that I thought about it, and especially after the Fifty Shades of Grey was, like, a thing inspired by um, Twilight, it made me think about how, like, what really makes that weird is that you have the masochism of, like, he, the people he's, that want to get bitten. Right. So, like, there's kind of a dual thing because one, he is kind of abusive in a way yeah. because he's like, a, a lot of like feminists have said that about that series because it's kind of like he makes everything seem like it's her problem. Yeah. Like, why are you afflicting me with your cuteness? Yeah. <laughs> and that's actually kind of how it is in Twilight. Like, why are you afflicting me with your attractiveness? Right. When I was perfectly fine being that mopey person over here by myself. Right. Um, and and I hate it. Yeah. So much. But like, yeah. But that. What's interesting about the original? Well, the novel is is different, I yes. think, than the movie. The movie, like we were talking about before this, all the movie versions very well boiled down the essence of the characters without. Um, cause I think in films, like they were still not to the level that we are now where like, you can pretty much show anything right. as long as you rate it, you know, appropriately. Um, so they boiled it down to what the, what at the time was acceptable to show in a movie. Um, and with him, it's interesting because he is evil, <laughs> but there's this kind of charming, charming nature charisma. to him. He is rich <laughs> and successful. He has, nobility. he has his own castle. <laughs> he is dressed very well. Uh -huh. He is obviously influential mm. and and I mean, and that's the, the thing is that scary, he, he, but like, he seduces everybody. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Much. It doesn't matter who you are. He, yeah. will, he will mesmerize you and make you do what he wants you to do. Right. So and like so it is this automatic, you know he is in power, he has presence. Right. He is, and it's like uh, he's not afflicted with nothing. If he's attracted to you, he will eat you, and that's it. Like, there's no weird torture, self-torture going on. Yeah. It's like, I am what I am, and I am here to take over the world. Mm -hmm. And that's funny, because, that, like, uh, there have been characters, like, for example, like Peter Parker, where he is, uh, put, he like, there's a lot of this stuff about, like, bad stuff always happens to him, stuff like that. But, like, what's interesting about his character is that he is still charming and funny and mm. his defense mechanism is humor. So it's not as difficult to read because it's not like he's just like, what well, was me all the time. But then after Twilight, it seemed like there was this version of a male figure who is like, I'm, you know, uh, like let, let I'm going to, I need a woman to fix me. Right. And that that became an attractive no, it's thing. not at all. And so, what's funny about the Fifty Shades of Grey iteration of it, like going, you went from Dracula to mini teenage Dracula, <laughs> who has like you know masochism issues, to this guy who's who's kind of he's rich and successful, but he's still broken, right? And he needs a woman to fix him. Um, so. But yeah, there hasn't really been like what they tr what was interesting about the um uh we'll talk about the dark universe <laughs> a little bit later. But 
before that was like before they were really promoting that heavily, they did a version of Dracula that was supposedly the the dramatic thing of it was supposed to be I'm gonna become a monster to protect my family. Because the whole idea was that they're they, they tried to make it like more historical, like there are these oh. Turks, I guess. I think okay. there were Turks that were trying to invade his land. And what they did, they tried to do this tragic thing of, I the reason why I'm so ruthless is because they're threatening my abode. Right. Like, you know, I'm, def- I'm defending myself. But it didn't work. <laughs> no. It was not... I think the only recent iteration of vampires I like, and I'm not counting... Uh, yeah. You know. I'm not counting Underworld. Underworld I like for entirely different reasons. Because <laughs> um, I, I mean, I like her as a vampire. Yeah, but I'm not. It's just like but, but they're not. But they're not really doing the traditional. No, they're not really doing the traditional Dracula kind of thing. Right. The yeah. one I did like for that was Interview with a Vampire. Mm. I think that one got it a lot more close mm. to this classic. These are dudes that have and, been around for a long time, and they know how to play the world, and uh-huh. they have presence, and they have power, and right. they know it. Well, that's the two good things about it. Was one, it was. It brought back that whole idea of like the their their seductiveness and their power and yeah. stuff. But then th- I think one main r- way that it does that is that interview with a vampire. Just the title alone suggests I'm one on one with this right person or this Creature, like there were multiple vampires it in it. But the the idea was this. It's a very small stakes thing. Yeah. As opposed to what they were trying, what they've been trying to do with the dark universe. We'll talk about that more later. It's, they're trying to make them into superhero movies. Right. And they're trying to make them spectacle. And what I liked about the original character, the original stories is that they're very isolated and about one or a, a small group of people right. that have to deal with this, this evil crazy evil entity. thing that popped up. Um, so my favorite one is the Wolfman. Um, and I like, uh, specifically, I really do like Lon Chaney Jr., and how he brings forth that tortured... Yeah, like, um, I know that tonight I'm going to turn into a beast that eats someone and I can't stand it. Yeah. And, and yeah, so, it's like, lock so me... terrified. Yeah, lock, and, and he, he brings that across in his performance of it. Um, and I, I, did, I do even like the, um, the version from... Um, that, but recently Benicio Del Toro did a version with where Anthony Hopkins was... Uh, was in it, and I think Emily Blunt was in it. Um, or no, it might have been Rebecca Hall. I always get Emily Blunt and Rebecca <laughs> Hall mixed up. I think it was Rebecca Hall. I don't think Hall. I know who either of them are by name. So Rebecca Hall was in uh, The Prestige. Oh, okay. And Emily Blunt was in uh, the that they, they what, was, what was it? It should have been called All You Need Is Kill, but it, they named it the, uh, Edge of Tomorrow. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That one. So yeah, those, those two actresses. For the, I'm sorry, I wanted to rant there, but I always do that. Um, the, I like the Benicio del Toro one because they it was more isolated, and even if it was like they 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 focused a, a lot on like like what Lon Jane Jr. was saying not to do, focusing on the special effects of it, and like the transformation was like showing you like the bones really popping creepy, and stuff. Yeah. But it was still it was still good. I thought and like that was like it was that was cool. That scene I thought was good because it was like. It was like all these surgeons 
that were like, you know that there's that. Oh yeah, those watching the surgery thing. So he's just like sitting there, and then like the moon is full, and then he starts and they're all like, "What the heck is going on?" Like no. So was I think that scene was actually pretty good. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I I just like, I think both him and Frankenstein are very much focused on the tragic nature of their characters. Right. And um, I think too. It's hard these days to really uh, understand the core of the werewolf thing, especially uh-huh. because uh, shout out to Lord Podcast because you guys, he's awesome. <laughs> uh, Aaron Mickey is the bomb. Y'all should listen to more. <laughs> um, finding out what the origin of these things were. Mm. The werewolf especially was very much a a we're in this tiny town and surrounded by forest. And if you go into the forest, you will die. Like it, that's just what medieval life was like. You, you don't go into the woods at night. It's just right. a dumb idea. The second was they were trying to explain horrible things happening. Oh, right. And right. werewolves especially were like, what episode are you talking about? Um, which one was that? The one with the, the pedophile. Yeah. 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 So there's an episode where there's all these murders that are happening and they're like, what, like what, Horrible what could have done this? And so, yeah. So they immediately they think there must be this thing, this wolf or something that is like a man, but it's right, not a man. But it's not a man because no human would do this to somebody. And, and then, then it turns they, out they actually, like if guy. you watch the first season of Lore, oh yeah, the TV on show, they actually adapted that into and I second season's up, by the way. So we should. Totally oh yes, that's watch another that. thing I need to put on. The list. But anyway, so we don't have that. I mean, we have we don't have that feeling anymore. It's not this whole you can't mm-hmm. go outside at night because you're. You know, you have some mysterious thing in the woods that's going to kill you. We don't have, you know, we have psychological reasons for this guy's a psychopath and he's out there killing people. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't have to make up a superstition reason for it. Right. So it's a very weird thing to try and put into a modern Right. Thing. Yeah, so you, I think the closest, th- like, the most recent Halloween that just came out, where I've heard a lot of the thematic nature of it is they're trying to, it's trying to understand that this guy is like a shark. He's not like a human being. And the horror comes from the fact that he doesn't have... Like, there there are certain characters in it that try to understand him. And they're like, no, he's a human being. Like, we can treat him. Yeah. And then, slowly and surely, they get picked off one by right. one. And they're like, no. It's like, nope, no, that, no. We, no. So that there, there, are certain, there are certain things that... We still don't understand yeah. about human nature. Well, even so if you can, things... even if you can label it now that we have, okay, this guy, the psychopath, there's obviously something wrong with his brain. You right. still don't. You can't wrap your brain so around I, that. that. It's kind of more horror. postmodern in the sense that, like, the horror comes from there are people who claim we understand this, right? And then the reality of actually seeing it I happen, face it, it's yeah, yeah, it, it shows you like no, there are things that we still don't. Which I think brings us good well into Frankenstein, because uh-huh. I think the real horror of right. Frankenstein's monster is he was messing with things we weren't supposed to mess with, mm-hmm. and he was trying to do something that he didn't understand, and so he creates this thing, and mm-hmm. all it does is torture him. Right, right. Um, yeah, and uh, uh, I and I think that the um, that the idea of something that is human but doesn't feel right. It's kind of because, like, I think the book version of it is much more. It seems like he's much more malevolent. Yeah. And like, and like, there are things like he has 
certain emotions, but doesn't completely. And I think that that is actually a and very good. And in the good... book, he's he's so very bent on killing Doctor Frankenstein. Like yeah. that is what he wants to do. It's like right. you created me and then abandoned me. I am going to make your life hell. Right. And th- and what what's interesting about that is that it's like this. It's like with a psychopath where you have they have enough emotions to be offended. Right. And to be like bitter about things. And to be angry that like but then, you know they can just willy nilly kill whatever's in their way and they don't have that have abstract empathy for other people. Right. Like so the wolf man has remorse. Yeah. He not when he's a wolf, but like he knows afterward, like, oh crap, I killed people and he feels bad about it. Right. Dracula doesn't have remorse really. But at least he knows what he's doing. He knows that what he's doing is scaring people and he's using that to his advantage. Right. Frankenstein's monster is just like bent on one thing, right? Like mm-hmm. he's like, you made me and then you left me alone right. and I have nothing and yeah. I am the only one that I have and everyone hates me and everyone wants to kill me. So I am mm-hmm. going after you for this. And I think that's one reason why you hear those three talked about the most is because it's all kind of different versions of evil being represented. Yeah. You have like uh, the Wolfman who is a more of like an internal struggle of like like maybe like addiction or something like that right. because it's he's doing all these things and he's ashamed of it and he's trying to find a way to control like like lock me in a room because I know Yeah, I know this I, is like, don't, so don't don't give me a sip of something because I I'm gonna just go It's actually alive. kind of very similar to the Jekyll Hyde thing. Right. Yeah and then there are things that branch out from these things right. that Dracula character is more diabolical and like I think C.S. Lewis had that thing of like the animal type of sin right, versus, and diabolical sin right. um, and that I've always kind of thought of it as those two where Dracula manipulates people and um, it's it's more of a, a seduction of, of others and, just, and masochism of enjoying the the destroying of others as opposed to where the other one is like, I'm sorry. And it, and it's almost as if the, that's what's interesting about the Wolfman. It's like almost as if the death of others is co- not coincidental, incidental. Yeah. So it focuses much more on his guilt and trying to control himself. Right. As opposed to Dracula is like, I have a very, I have a strategy here. Yeah, I know exactly what I'm doing. Um, I'm getting myself to London and, and then, then I'm going to eat people. Yeah. And then, um, Frankenstein is like you're saying a, a sci-fi thing of like man, like science gone wrong. Yeah, and this idea of something that is has a consciousness but not a conscience. But not a conscience, yeah. Um. So yeah, and then so I guess technically it's the first artificial intelligence. Maybe very interesting. Yes. Kind of. And yeah, and I think that's actually a good book. Is that that you a lot of sci-fi is. I created a thing that thinks, but it does not feel. Yeah. No. I don't understand why people seem obsessed with doing this, but. And I think that the uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon is much more like a monster, classic monster. Yeah. It's like, I I shall take your woman and (laughs) sing her. Because, like, I don't even, like, what is he even, like, I I always, what is he even doing? Well, that's why I was curious. But I think now that now with the popularity of the shape of water, if it is more of a Beauty and the Beast kind of story, well, okay. So here's two things. One, that is an inversion of the thing. Oh, the Swamp Thing is not. I don't think not a sympathetic oh, character. Okay. 
on its face, but Shape of Water is definitely commenting on that. And I think what um, Lindsay Ellis, who does the Nostalgia Chick on, on YouTube, she was talking about how the monster has now become a metaphor for the other. Yeah. And so it, that is all about the comfortability with before, in like especially in the 50s, there was this idea of there are monsters out there and we need to find them. Yeah. But nowadays it's like, um, it, it's now become a metaphor for like, we need to understand right. that there are people that are different, that not necessarily bad. Right. Um, so with that, I think that in that time, what that, what that symbol meant was there was something monstrous and it's stealing our women. <laughs> and it's like to a man, that symbol right. to us means we need to protect what we right. care about. Right. And so what's interesting is that's now been changed to where like the metaphor is like, it's, it's that, that is seen more as like a patriarchal thing of like, like maybe I want to be with the fish guy. Right. <laughs> and so that's, that's how that's changed. With the, um, with the but rare that, exception of stuff like alien and predator, which is still very much a, no, these things are evil and they're here to hunt us to death. Uh-huh. Like, but, but that's, so there's two things. One, I think that it's changed now in, in two ways. One, you, I think you get stuff nowadays. Like I was talking about the Ozarks before we started mm-hmm. recording. And it's like, now we're getting stuff where people, there's a, backlash I think against the postmodern uh analysis of evil <laughs> and it's saying like there's a completely logical reason why some people are evil but they're still evil. Yeah. And so there's been like breaking bad and Ozarks about that's what I'm telling you the point of, of Castle Rock was. Uh-huh. But that what was sure would have been nice if it was dramatically <laughs> satisfying. <laughs> Because, it was to me. Okay, that's I don't know how, I'm glad that you enjoyed it. I, I'm not going to take it away from you. Okay. <laughs> but the, um, I think that's a big point that's being made now is that like, um, so like there's two kinds. One is like in Halloween where this thing is evil and yeah. there are characters that say they're not. Yeah, but then they get killed. Or like there's ones like in Ozarks where you're following the person kind of like with the wolf man. You're following the person that is in this situation and you sympathize with them, but you also understand that they're going more and more. It's going to kill something. Yeah. Um, But then, but you, we also have things where um, I think like, I think that what's his name? Um, Ridley Scott has a very like nihilistic worldview because like what the, I think through the lore of the alien series, what you find is that there are these creators that make the aliens and they are just weapons of mass destruction. Right. And they just drop them on a planet and then they, and they kill destroy everything. everything. So it's kind of like with them and with Predator, I think that's why they paired them often because it's like this idea of this. Um, I think it's more like, I've it's always come across to me of like the arbitrary nature of of nature <laughs> like this there's this thing and it's only uh may, maybe probably the closest thing you can think of is like disease like it's this biological thing that does not care that you exist at all yeah it's just out there to yeah. destroy yeah, and to break destroy down you. things um 
And so that that is also another thing that it's not as I think because we we like we enjoy things more that are about will and, and overcoming stuff. And I, I gravitate more towards those things where it's like even if it's about a psycho, it's about fighting whatever this evil is. Right. Um but then there are also ones that are more about like there's just this thing that is after you. Yeah. And there's no reason. No, just, we're just going to just have to kind of freak you out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I haven't, that's another thing. That's another, uh, well, we watched alien. I think like two years ago or something, mm-hmm. a year ago. Um, and I still haven't seen predator, but I know predator is very much what, well, the, what's funny about that movie is that it's very much like, these are all the buffest and broiest guys <laughs> Of, in this generation, yeah, watch them this get movie and watch them get eaten. Watch them get picked off one by one by this like alpha right. predator. Um, but yeah, and so the last one is Invisible Man, and I, I talked about that in our anti-hero episode. If you want to check that out, but the TLDR is <laughs> um, bad scientist in a room with the main character because I read I read the book. And he's like, okay, you find out that I'm the Invisible Man. Before I kill you, let me tell you my, 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 let me yeah. tell you my life story. Yeah. And it's and none of it, it's not like he's like, oh, I get it now. No. It's like, oh, you're crazy. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess I'm dead. <laughs> well, I but should yeah. read that one. Yeah. I it's it's really that. good. It's an H.G. Wells. I was oh, going to call like it Wells. an H.G. Wells John. H.G. Wells John. Like a Spike Lee joint. Yeah, but yeah. But it's a shoes. I like it. We need to make a shirt. Yes, we, that needs to be a shirt. That totally needs to be a shirt. Because yeah. I like the time machine. Oh, yeah, yeah. What's the yeah, other his, one I read by his? His stuff is very... that He's one of those guys that, like, his stuff has lived. Yeah. You know, it has it has legs. Like, it has legs. Every now, every now and again, it just pops up again because it's like, oh, this is a cool... We own the rights to this. Let's, let's do that let's again. Let's do another one of those. What's um, the other one by him that I like? I don't remember now. War of the Worlds? I don't think I've read War of the Worlds. I've seen it, but I haven't read it. Oh, yeah, no, I, I... Dad would watch... That was another one Dad watched a lot. And then... Uh, there was a Spielberg. Oh, you know No. No, wait a minute. I'm thinking of the wrong one. That one was okay. That's the one with Tom Cruise and they get sucked yes. up into the... Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that wasn't so bad. It was the new... You were talking about the, the day new, the Earth still? The day the Earth still? still. That, that was terrible. Okay. Yes, I agree. Oh, I, oh my word. Yeah, because I remember... It's funny because I rem, I was just like, what's the difference? Like, I, my dad was watching I'm like, oh. you know. And that, but then I watched the old... I watched them in the older yeah. and I was like, oh, I'm actually interested in this. Yeah. This not... The other one's real bad. Granted, that is probably the only role that like Keanu Reeves was perfect for her with his new emotionless state right. of existence. Because that's how that guy was. Right, the, right. the scripting, the rest of it was just like, what did you do to this story? Here's an interesting... So, shout out to the Schmodown on on YouTube. What? Here's a trivia question. What was the name of the robot? Klaku? Uh, there, very good. High five. L- low five. I won. What do I win? You win. <laughs> you win nothing. Uh, we should do trivia on our show more often. It's fun. <laughs> there you go. Uh, okay, so I'm going to go through now because we watched 
Abedinkas, as I might have, I think we mentioned, mentioned this, yes. Uh, Abedinkas, I will meet the Wolfman, because, not the Wolfman. I thought it was the Wolfman. I was wrong. Apparently, that's not a movie. No. <laughs> they meet Frankenstein, but it has... Which is weird, because it isn't Boris Karloff as Frankenstein. Yes, that was interesting. And I, my theory is, they got Lon Chaney Jr., and they got Bela Lugosi, and they were like, we don't have any more money. <laughs> because they're not even the main character. Like, Abbott right. and Costello, I'm assuming, were also right. ran a good race. But see, you're thinking of it wrong. Because in those days, that's not how it worked. It, it wasn't about paying the actors like that. You didn't have to do that. The studio owned those guys. Right. So they got paid, but it was you are going to make X amount of movies this year and we will tell you which ones you are in. So they what, didn't get, you didn't have to true. bid for actors. But I will say what I, what my theory is, because I think after that, Boris Karloff was in his own Abbott and Costello thing. Oh, okay. So I think there so must have been some, some kind of contractual. Yeah, something. there must have been something where he was like, no, nah, I'm getting my own movie. Yeah. <laughs> or something. There must have been some strings yeah. that got pulled somehow because he got his own one. And it was like, I'm going to Costello meet the killer at Boris Karloff. So I'm like, it, did it? Did they try to make it seem like Boris Karloff himself was, was a murderer? Yeah, sure. Anyway, but that would be interesting if we watched that. Um, so yeah, so it starts off with Lawrence Talbot, uh, Lon Chaney Jr., makes an urgent phone call from London to a Florida railway station where Chick Young, Bud Abbott, and Wilbur Gray, Lou Costello, work as baggage clerks. So what this one scene does it's, it's is brilliant. immediately set the tone for this entire movie. Yes. <laughs> because Lon Chaney Jr. is like, what, what am I going to do? Like, he's like, like really doing, like, without it even being, because that, that I think is the mark of a good actor when, like, you get across what the person is feeling, even if the director is not telling you, like, this is the scene yeah. where you need to act like you're always, I think he's always yeah. on. So he's, he's always like, the Wolfman. Like, and he's not even like it's not. Oh, I'm in a Laurel and Hardy movie, or sorry, I'm in a Costello movie. It's I am the Wolfman. Like, right, and that that's what makes this the whole thing work is that everybody else is in in a horror movie, <laughs> and I'm in a Costello or not, or not. <laughs> so that's so that's what it sets up with love them. It so much is that, uh, like. He starts turning, and uh, Costello's like, what, what do you have, a dog? What? Right, he starts turning on the phone. He's like, why are you having your dog talk to me? This is really not going to do any good. We're just sit here and bark yeah. on the phone. And what, what I love about Costello is that he plays, he plays it straight in a way. And that's what's interesting about his character, because his character is zany. Yeah. But there's subtle things to his performance. Like, with that, where it's just, like, like, what gives? Like, he's acting, like, serious about right. it. It's like, why would you put your dog on the phone? And so, like, the way that he reads his lines is yeah. just really funny. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I do like how you say it. it. was It was all about his innocence. He has such an innocent, simple character. Right. Yeah, and that's... That, I think that classic, comedic... That helps later on. Yeah. Because it's very misogynist. Yeah. And how they treat... But that's... I think it's on purpose. Right. The, I think the writers understand that, like you're, you're, you're kind of like these are crazy idiots right. that are, and that that's the funny thing is that neither of them, like, like they, it doesn't end happily for them, right? And that's what's 
funny about it is that it's like they he they get in over their heads, right? Really, so that that'll come down the line. But it's set up where, um, uh, Chick Young and uh, Wilbur. So Chick is uh, Abbott, and Wilbur is Costello. They work as bag- baggage clerks in the thing. Chick is the boss. Um, Talbot tries to impart to Wilbur the danger of a shipment due to arrive for McDougal's House of Horrors, a local wax museum. The crates purportedly contain the remains of Count Dracula, Bela Lugosi, and the Frankenstein monster, Glenn Strange. So yeah, Glenn Strange plays um, Frankenstein. I think he did, alright? Yeah. It wasn't like... It wasn't, well, Frankenstein didn't exactly have a lot to... Maybe that's what it was. Like, Boris Karloff was like, I don't do anything in this movie. Right. So... I, that's what I was thinking. Either they did it in such a way where, like, we need to write this in such a way that, like, People get their moments, yeah, and they're like, "Well, if we're gonna not have Frankenstein do have much, a moment, then we need then, to give him a moment yeah. where he has a moment, right?" Because um, he really wasn't very. I mean, he was, he was, he was the MacGuffin in this movie. Yeah, he's kind of like a glorified <laughs> zombie. Yeah, it's kind of like he's there just to be uh, Dracula. Well, yeah, we'll get into it. However, before Wilbur can understand a full moon rises, Howard transforms into a werewolf. That's where he does all the like. Why are you putting your dog on the phone? Uh, he proceeds to destroy his hotel room. While Wilbur is on the line. Wilbur thinks the call is a prank and hangs up. Meanwhile, the museum owner, McDowell, has arrived to claim the shipments. When Wilbur badly mishandles the crates, McDougal demands that the boys deliver them to his museum so his insurance agent can expect, inspect them. That's another thing. He has kind of like a... Uh, um, he has moments where he's doing kind of like what would, I guess, later become known as well, like Jerry Lewis... Right. Type stuff. It's a very slapstick. But I think kind of I think Jerry Lewis very much calls it out more. Yeah. Where with him, it's just like he's this hapless guy right. that things kind of happen to. Mm. It's less like he's a complete right. idiot. He's it's not a complete kind of, idiot. It's just, yeah. He's very simple. It's a very simple thing. Right. Um, Chicken Wilbur deliver the crates after hours. They open the first one and find Dracula's coffin. When Chick leaves the room to retrieve the second crate, Wilbur reads aloud the Dracula legend printed on an exhibit card. The coffin slowly creaks open. It does that a lot. Yeah. Wilbur is so... that I think that's one of the funniest things, is that I don't know what the heck Dracula was doing in I that know. scene. Like, he kept peeking out and then going back in and peeking out, going back in, so and then, like, snuck I think around somewhere too... and then came back into the car. I'm like, what the world is he doing? Bella Lugosi's character, I think, or the... I think it's to his credit that you still take him seriously oh, after yeah. all that, because it's like uh, that is just kind of for comedic effect. Right. But then later on, it's just like, no, you're you're pulling this off. Yeah, because it's Bill Lugosi, and if anybody, I, I I still don't know how he made any of that look terrifying. Because anybody else floating around in a cape like that and yeah. waving his arms the way he does would have looked ridiculous. Right. But he manages to make it look like, no, I am mesmerizing you, and you were done. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Wilbur is so frightened that his, that, his, that his attempts to call Chick result in helpless buttering, which is my favorite thing. Yes. Because he's... <laughs> like, he doesn't... He can't talk, and he's... But you can tell that he's either screaming or, like, freaking out, but he does it under, <laughs> under his... Yeah. <laughs> under his breath, somehow. But that's even more terrifying, like, showing that he's even more scared than just screaming would be. Right. Because he can't even talk. Because he can't even get air out. 
This is so great. good. But it's like so insane. It's so funny. Between <laughs> that and the and the moments when he looks at the camera. Oh yeah, yeah. Times yeah. where he looks straight at you. They're very subtle. Like, well, there's di- there's different things. But, like, he'll do like a sideways glance. Yeah. Like, like really? Like, you get there's this? just some side eye. Yeah. It's very good. And then ones where he's just like, like he'll it look at the camera like, what is going on? It's great. So good. Um, before Chick returns, the second crate with the second crate. Dracula claims that noticed Adam's coffin and hides in the shadows. Woodward claims that the coffin opened, but Chick shows him that it is, in, in fact, empty. While the boys open the second crate containing the monster, Chick leaves the room to greet McDougal and the insurance agent. Dracula now hypnotizes Wilbur and reanimates the monster, which, that was a funny thing, because he had... He has a ring. Yeah, he has a ring... That somehow has that electrical charge to it. Never explain. No, and he just zaps the bolts in in Frankenstein's neck, and Frankenstein but wakes it's, up. It's so funny to me because it's like, is this like a Duracell battery? <laughs> because it's like, it gives him a little charge. Yeah, but, but the idea is that it doesn't keep him. Right. Like he he eventually like powers down. Winds down. And but like, so like they should have just put a thing in his back and wound him up. Yeah. Um. They both leave. And by the time McDougal, the insurance agent, and Chick enter, both crates are empty. McDougal accuses the boys of theft and has them arrested. That night, Dr. Sandra Mornay, who uh, is introduced earlier, this this version doesn't say it, but she's introduced earlier on as Wilbur's girlfriend. girlfriend. And that's funny, too, because they're playing off the fact that, like, what is this? And I, I didn't realize how much they did this to him, but it's like they often talk about how to wait. Right. And I think it's well. Part of what I think is cool about it is that the way that they do it, it seems to me almost like he's owning right. the fact that he is overweight and that like it's it's like his shtick. Right. So there are some like a lot of people talk about like with Melissa McCarthy, like they just kind of sometimes that's all her character is, and it can kind of be like, don't do this to yourself. Yeah. Like you're better than this. Like yeah. um, especially since she started out on. Um, I think Gilmore Girls, which was much more yeah. about like dialogue being funny. Um, but yeah, it seems like the whole idea is that like, what is this beautiful woman doing right. with the schlub? Especially this because of how he's guy. yeah, how he's like simple and not like the brightest bulb. Right. And Chick, that's the other funny thing is that it's Chick's reactions. Yeah. To how like, and he says like, like What's wrong what with are you me? doing with this guy? He's like, well, he has a brain, and he's just yeah. like. No, no, he really doesn't. <laughs> so on that on that point, that night, Duchess Sandra Mornay welcomes Dracula and the monster to her island castle. Because she just randomly has one of those lying around. Of course, because you do. Uh, Sandra, <laughs> a, a gifted surgeon who has studied Doctor Frankenstein's notebooks, has seduced Wilbur as part of Dracula's plan to repre- replace the uh, the monster's brutish brain with a more pliable one, Wilbur's. Yeah. So he is now. There, it's kind of dual MacGuffins, but right. it's about Franken. It's about replacing Frankenstein's brain with Wilbur's, and that's kind of the comedic thing of it. Is like he thinks that this beautiful woman is in love with him. Yeah, uh, she just wants to cut his brain. And she out. just wants his brain. Um, and that's where that joke comes in. Right. Where, yeah. Um, and that that's another cool thing to me is that you were saying like th- this is the beginning of where you're seeing certain because what's funny is that um i so uh to, to portray this point 
Um, I was reading about how uh, there were writers for Batman that introduced people like Catwoman into it. And the idea was this guy hasn't grown up since he was like 11. And so the idea is that like he can't handle interactions with women. <laughs> and so introducing a character who is like a rogue type character, but also is like full, so fully self-actualized, he can't handle that type of thing. So what's interesting is that even though female characters were more limited during this time, you start getting, because of that, when you have like a female villain, they have a little bit more agency yeah. than a female heroine, because usually if they're heroines, they're just a romantic lead, yeah. or they're relegated to like a damsel in distress. So this character is tête-à-tête with the Dracula. biggest villain of this time period. And, and, and holding her own. Yeah, like the actress, I thought it was really good. Yeah. And I liked her a lot. Her I was character, like, wow, that's exciting. Her She's character a surgeon? gets to tell of multiple men yes. in the movie. Because a lot of the beginning of it is, like, I want to be with this guy. Right. And so even though later on you find out that she's she couldn't care less about him, like, the fact that she gets to say, like, she gets to, like, say, like, talk back to these other guys right. in a way that didn't always happen in these types of movies. Um, so it's kind of cool to have that kind of powerful female character. Yeah. And then I think later on, I'll get to what happens to her, but I think that I, I have an idea as to what it does that uh, well, anyway, I brought that up in the movie, but I'll wait till we get there. So Wilbur and, Ch and Chick, I almost said chill, anyway, are, are uh, bailed out of jail. They assume that Sandra posted bond, but Joan Raymond, an undercover investigator for the insurance company, did so. Joan also feigns love for Wilbur, hoping it will lead her to the missing exhibits. Um, Wilbur invites Joan to a, or Joanne, whatever, uh, to a masquerade ball that evening. Um, and, uh, he was also invited by Sandra, so there's that whole, like... Yeah, I have two dates. Uh, and, and then Chick is just like, can I... Can I have one? One of them? Buddy? Friend? Old pal? And that's where I think it starts, where it's like, I think it's, it's the funny, the, the reason it's funny is because he's gloating about how he has these two dates. Number one, he has no idea how he's going to do right. both of them. Right. And number two, they're acting as if these women are like, like, can I have, like, as if you can just trade them. Right. But the the fact that they don't know why they're doing this at all right. means that neither of them is going to end up with either of them. Yeah. So it's just kind of a joke on so it, them. Yeah. So it's, them yeah so it's kind of like a Shakespearean, like, comedy of error yeah. thing. Like, it's, I, I, like, like I was saying, like, some Bond things are kind of like you. It might have been better if you had like protected this. Per, like I don't know why in every movie, the Bond girl either has to be evil or die. <laughs> yeah. But like in this, it's just played for laughs, and it's right. not like he's not. They're not. You know, this isn't. Um, what I was gonna say, Parker levels of. Remember, I told you about the thing that I wanted to burn. Right. They're not really treating them as disposable. Um. So meanwhile, Lord Talbot has dragged Dracula and the monster from Europe and has taken the apartment across the hall 
from Wilbur and Chick. Talbot asks Chick and Wilbur to help him find and destroy Dracula the monster. Wilbur believes, but Chick remains skeptical. That night, Wilbur, Chick, and Joanne go to... Oh, they, they skip over a scene where he asks him... Uh, Talbot asks Wilbur to lock, to lock him, him in his room. And there's a lot of fun comedy of him going in and out of that room multiple times. Because he steals an apple. Yeah. And then he thinks to himself, I wonder if he counted the apples. Yeah. And then he goes to... And, like, the wolfman is on the other side of yeah. the door. And he's just like, nah, he wouldn't have done that. <laughs> and that that's, to me, such a human... Like, that... If they had made it... Like, that that's one of the things that makes it funny to me. It's like, when I was younger, it was just... You know, the face of what it was doing was funny. But now, realizing how... That's such a human thing of, like... Did he count all those? Like, should I really have taken this out? <laughs> and he really said, like, he's it's it's played straight where he's like, yeah. is he gonna? No, it's, nah, it's fine. fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, that night, Wilbur, Chick, and Joanne go to Sanders' castle to pick her up for the ball. Wilbur answers a telephone call from Talbot, who informs them that they're in fact in the house of Dracula. Wilbur reluctantly agrees to search the castle with Chick and soon stumbles upon a basement staircase that leads to a boat and a dock. Um, Chick insists they search for Dracula and the monster to prove to Wilbur that they do not really exist. Behind a revolving door, Wilbur experiences a few close calls with the monsters. Whenever he tries to get Chick's attention, the monsters have disappeared. Uh, so that's that's kind of more of like a... I, like, you've seen that joke a yeah. hundred times. Yeah. But they like I still think that they're acting yeah, really... Pulls off really the, the humor. It's a very it's a very Scooby Doo moment. Yeah, and that's the thing is that I think uh, another thing that you sometimes get messed up with with older movies is that they probably did it first, right? And a lot of and the things that you see, you've got you've seen it because it worked so well the first time. Um, so I, I that might be old enough that it was in something before then, but I think it was pretty good. Um. Meanwhile, Joanne discovers Dr. Frankenstein's notebook in Sandra's desk. And that that is a funny scene. That is a great scene. Because, because it is female heroine and female villain only. Right. And they both know the other one is up to something. Uh, Neither one confronts the other directly at right. all. Right. And it is the, the most subtly acted, I am going to get you later scene. Yeah. Ever. Well, the moment where they're just like, are you done? Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh. Ready? Yeah, sure. Let's go. Yeah, and, and, and they're just like waiting to stab each other in the back. Like that's it's. It perfect. was so good. Um, and they both play it really, really well. Yeah. So, so yeah. So Sandra, uh, sorry, Joanne finds the notebook, and Sandra finds Joanne's insurance company employee ID right. in her purse. Um, and so yeah, that they're like both like let's powder our nose, and they're like spying yeah, on each other. Spying on each other. And they're like, well, I'll get you. This is what women really do in the powder room. Yeah. <laughs> Spy on each other. As the men and women uh, prepare to leave for the ball, a swabbly dressed Dr. Lejos, aka Dracula, introduces himself to Joanne and the boys. Uh, also working at the castle is the naive Professor Stevens, which was such a strange character. Yeah, it was like, where did he come from? Because I wasn't sure. At first, I thought, like, okay, this guy is, like, you know, relatively handsome and, like, like much more of, like, a presence right. physically than. Uh, Evan and Costello are, so I assumed he was going to be, like, the last minute, like, cop or something mm. that was going to save the day. 
Not really. He's no. just kind of there. Yeah. He's just like a more attractive version of uh, Igor, kind of. Yeah. Uh, he's just kind of there to do Because, I mean, things. if you're an evil female surgeon, you're not going to have some weird hunchback dude working for you. You're going to have a gorgeous medical student or that, whatever. That maybe that was the point, was that it was like, <laughs> Dracula doesn't pick no Igor yeah. to work at his place. Nope. He's going to have like this No, buff. we're going to have good looking people here. Come on <laughs> now. That's so funny. Um, says the naive Professor Stevens who questions some of the specialized equipment that has arrived. Yeah, it's like, what is all this stuff so you, for again? You, you don't say. Gonna... Like, you think if you're working for Dracula, you would have picked up on some stuff. Um, after Wilbur admits that he was in the basement, Thunder feigns a headache. That was a good scene, too. Yeah. She's just like, no, Dracula, I don't think I'm going to do what you're saying. No. I have a headache. I'm a headache right now. So why don't you and he's chill? Like, what? And that, that, that was just like, okay. It's like, dude, tell Dracula off. Okay. Sure. Uh, and tells Wilbur and others that they will have to go to the ball without her. In private, Sandra admits to Dracula at Stevens' uh, suspicions, Jones' credentials, and Wilbur snooping in the basement have made her nervous enough to put the experiment on hold. Dracula asserts his will by hypnotizing her and biting her on the neck. So, two things. One, I think actually her agency makes the scene more more impactful mm-hmm. because the fact that you were actually kind of like you liked her character, it makes it more like, oh, she has a will right. that actually is being meant by Dracula and makes him a little bit more scary, intimidating. He's even more evil now. And then, two, I think that in order to make it so that you um, still sympathize with her and, like, you're... We'll get to what happens to her. Um, you're... You, uh, the fact that, like, she didn't end the villain makes it more satisfying to me because it was, like, she had her, like, time to shine. Right. And then, rather than just being carted off with, right, you know, with in the like a, the, you know, in like a, what do they call that, paddy wagon? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> rather than go in the paddy wagon, she has, well, we'll, we'll get to what yeah. happens to her. But anyway, but I think that that's, that's an interesting thing because it's kind of like, no, you're like, you're not going to get me. And then slowly, it's like, no, I'm trying to, yeah, like, I'm, like, I'm sorry. To... I know you're a strong woman and all, but I'm still oh. a really old vampire. <laughs> Somebody noted in a continuity error, Dracula's reflection is visible on the mirror. Oh, yeah. But they do that in the, that wise continuity error because they don't do that in Dracula 31. Um, everyone is now at the masquerade ball. Talbot arrives and confronts Dr. Lejos, who is in costume as Dracula. Uh, Lejos easily deflects Talbot's accusations and takes Joan to the da- to the dance floor. Uh, Sandra lures Wilbur to a quiet spot in the woods and attempts to bite him, but Chick and Larry approach and she flees. While Talbot, Chick, and Wilbur search for Joanne, uh, Talbot informs tra- sorry, transforms into the Wolfman and stalks Wilbur, which is funny because it's yeah. just like he keeps tripping over the vines and right. stuff. And he he sells that too. Yeah, he does. It, it's it's very, very interesting because sometimes those like you don't really have to do much physical, and that maybe that was a stunt that who knows, but um, because the makeup is pretty good. Yeah, but it's like he sold it as like I'm stuck on this thing, and that made it funny because it was like. Like, and then he, he gets stuck. And then Costello keeps yeah. beating him up because he keeps thinking it's, it's He gets stuck on his knees. And, and yeah, and he thinks that it's Abbott. So he's just like, 
like yeah, hitting in like, the face. What are you doing? Around. I bet if it's a problem. Well, she's not going to be under there. Or, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so since, since Chick's costume was a wolf mask. Um, oh, yeah, so Wilbur escapes with the wolf man attacks McDougal, who is also at the ball. Since Chick's costume includes a wolf mask, McDougal accuses Chick of attacking him out of revenge. And then Wilbur's like, yeah, you were, why are you biting people? Yeah, why are you doing it all crazy? <laughs> so good. And that, that I, I thought about Trevor at that point. Because <laughs> I was thinking, like, like you would pile on. Yeah. It's so funny. Um, Chick is, uh, Trevor's my friend, by the way. To, to, shout out to Trevor. Um, <laughs> Chick escapes and witnesses Dracula hypnotizing Wilbur. Chick is also hypnotized and uh, re- rendered helpless while Dracula and Sandra bring Wilbur and Joanne back to the castle. The next morning, Chicken Talbot both fugitive fugitives meet up in the bayou. Um, Talbot confesses to Chick that he is indeed the Wolfman. <laughs> Chick explains that Dracula has taken um, Wilbur and Joanne to the island, and they agree to work together to rescue them. Wilbur is held in a pillory in the cellar. Um, kudos on your diction there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sandra explains her plan to transplant his blade into the monster. Which was a funny, because it's just like, so here's what you're gonna live forever. Uh, yeah. Here's how I'm gonna do it. Okay. <laughs> He's like, oh. Uh, so you really do care about well, me. Yeah. <laughs> when she and Dracula leave him to prepare the monster for the operation, Chicken Talbot sneak in, set, um, sneak in set. Oh, and set Wilbur and set Wilbur at Stevens Free. Uh, Dracula and Sandra return to the cellar and find Wilbur missing. Dracula easy, easily recalls Wilbur, and he soon finds himself strapped on an operating table. The monster is on an adjacent table, receiving electric shocks. As Sandra begins, oh, brings a scalpel to Wilbur's forehead, Talbot and Chick burst in. Talbot pulls Sandra away from Wilbur, and Chick unintentionally knocks her out uh, while fending off Dracula with a chair. Chick flees the lab pursued by Dracula. Talbot is about to untie Wilbur, and when he once again transforms into the Wolfman. Dracula returns to the lab and engages in a brief tug of war with the Wolfman over Wilbur's gurney. Dracula flees, and the Wolfman gives chase. And he's like throwing potted plants at him. Yeah. This this Kinda start, funny. I was like, all I could think of was being in the writer's room for this movie and having them all argue about which monster was best, right? Because at this point now, you have monsters going against each other. And I hadn't thought that they would play it that the Wolfman was automatically <laughs> against them. Uh-huh. But the Wolfman's going after whoever he can go after. Right. So... He is antagonistic to Dracula, and Dracula is actually a little worried. Right. And I thought that was a really weird. And, fun I, and way I to think play that, that what, what, the, what in my mind canon was was that all Dracula had to do for human beings is seduce them yeah. mentally. But he's an animal. Yeah. So it's just kind of like that, and then you have the classic, like the the wolf are supposed to be like their servants, yeah. type thing that has been kind of like in and out of different things. So. The, the idea that they're kind of adversarial right. um, is an interesting thing that pops up. Um, so, uh, Chick returns to untie Wilbur just as the monster, now at full power, breaks his restraints and climbs off of the gurney. Sandra attempts to command him, but the monster picks her up and tosses her out of the lab window to her death. Yeah. Which was, like, in some ways disappointing, but in other ways just like, well, that just happened. Yeah. Like, I didn't expect that. <laughs> nope. So that's kind of like interesting because it's like she does pay for right. what she was what doing. She 
Um, even if it's not like a super traumatic death, it's, it's still kind of like, yeah, yeah she go. just got thrown out of a window. Yeah. Um, Jack and Wilbur escape the lab and run from room to room with the monster following them. So that kind of stuff is, is kind of scooby doo too because the the monster's chasing them and they're like, I did, I did closing really doors. think that the, him being wheeled around on the gurney was funny. Oh, yeah. Oh, and then. Grandma pointed out, because Gigi watched this with us, and, you know, it was there was actually two jokes she pointed out to us. Uh-huh. One was a verbal joke that we never would have gotten, because it was based on a commercial at the time. Oh, yeah. So when, when Sandra is trying to bite Wilbur, right. she desc- th- she describes him the way that it was from this cigarette commercial. Yeah. And it was About like, a pack being full and chubby and, and something. Yeah. And, and he so, finishes it. Yeah, he finishes it, and then she started laughing. I'm like, it's like what? It's like okay, that was a, that was a cigarette commercial. Like, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was so funny. And then there's another time where they're like barricading the daylights out of this door, uh-huh. so that the Wolfman can't get in, and then the door opens the other direction. <laughs> so he just opens it out where he comes in anyway. That was pretty funny. Yeah, and the um, there's the one where I thought it was cool because they actually. Like it was, it was filmed well where it was like this door is closed and he just knocks it down. Oh yeah, yeah. And I was just like, that's pretty dope because like, because that's the thing is that the, you know, in this time it, that like you can't do all the same special effects the way that you do nowadays. But those types of little things are just like they're gonna get messed up if they don't mm-hmm. run. And I actually kind of liked even the they're a little chintzy because you know they didn't have CGI or anything. Oh. But they went from like cartoon animation for Dracula when he's transforming mm. into a bat and back. They would do like these. Yeah, they, they had a couple things inserts. that they could do reliably. I think um, it's those times when they're like experimenting with stuff yeah. that kind of sometimes go wrong. But they knew that they could do animation that that fades into a live action thing. So with him, it was like they would start off with an animated bat. And then it melds, and so you get some kind of like blocky colors mm-hmm. when it's transforming. But it still is an interesting yeah, I thought visual. It was pretty good. Um, and it's kind of supernatural anyway. So you're like, right. it's not like you have anything to compare it to. And then um, when the Wolfman transforms, yeah, they do that stop motion type thing, right? Where it's the gradually the makeup is coming on, and they do it to where it's like, yeah. You know, I, I did a face for those of you not <laughs> in the room with me right now. Um, <laughs> he just he did his lunch and he did impression. Dracula, while fighting with the Wolfman, attempts to escape by transforming into a bat, as we were discussing. Uh, the Wolfman leaps, catch, catching. Oh, yeah, that yeah. was awesome. That was awesome. <laughs> because it was just like. You think that now he's the, the fight's over, right? And then he just jumps on like, him. Nope, now you're a bat. He's like, still a bat. That was dope. Um, that's one of those things. Like in, uh, like I was discussing. If you subscribe to our Patreon, you can listen to our Willow episode. There's a, a magician or a, a wizard, woman wizard, who, um, uh, it just like, uh, yeah, all of you outside my castle, no, you're, you're all trying to attack me. Now. You're all pigs. <laughs> And it's just like, why don't all wizards do this if there's somebody chasing them? Yeah. So that was that type of moment where, like, in reality, if you are a wolf man and you are super strong, you're going to jump off a building onto a bat. bat because take it down. I'm going to kill this thing. Yeah. Um, so that was pretty dope. Uh, 
Um, the monster. Wait, let me get to where I was. Yeah, so he catches the bat, tumbles off the balcony onto the rocks below. So yeah, they're both. They both die. They're both MIA. I would say this is probably like you if can't we really want to resurrect really these people. Because <laughs> I would the think that you could say that like the wolf man may be strong enough, right? Or have some kind of healing type thing, and then he's Dracula. So it's yeah, like, so you know he yeah. never really dies. He's already dead. I don't know. Yeah, so yeah, very good. Presumably both are killed. Uh, Joanne abruptly wakes from her trance. Is rescued by by Stevens. Um, the boys run out of the castle to the pier with the monster in, still in pursuit. Um, they climb into a small rowboat while Stevens and Joanne arrive and set the pier ablaze. The monster wheels around into the flames, succumbing as the pier collapses into, into the water. That was another kind of cool. Like, you feel bad because yeah. it's just Frankenstein. It's like, it's Frankenstein. Like, I don't know what he's doing. Um, but it is kind of a cool visual. Like, the pier burning and he's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, <laughs> Wilbur scolds Chick for not believing him as they're in their boat going away. Chick insists that now that all the monsters are dead, there's nobody to frighten us anymore. They suddenly hear... This is another <laughs> joke that Grandma remembered halfway through the movie. It was yeah. like, wait a minute, I know what this movie is. They suddenly hear a disembodied voice provided by an uncredited Vincent Price. Oh, that's funny. And see a cigarette floating in the air. The voice says... Oh, that's too bad. I was hoping to get in on the excitement. Allow me to introduce myself. I'm the, I'm the Invisible Man. And so he starts cackling as the they jump out. The way only Vincent Price can. Yeah. So wait, let me look at... I don't, did he do the movie? I don't think so. <laughs> let me see. Because that would be a great... Although he has a great voice, so they might have used him for that. Yeah. Um... There was a 2016 Invisible Man. What? Really? Uh, maybe that's based on the book. Let's let's hope so. Yeah, Chad. All right. Um, based on science fiction novel, made a pop reboot, <laughs> starring. Oh yeah, no. It's good. So the 33 version was Claude Rains. <gasps> that's why I wanted to see that one because I love Claude Rains. So much. So that's just got crazy. I did. I <laughs> forgot about that, and I want to see it now because I love Claude Rains. Oh yeah, I remember his his laugh was also very good. Yes, I remember that from clips I've seen of the Invisible Man. So yes, eventually we shall do that. We shall do that because he is awesomeness. Y'all should watch any Claude Rains movie ever. So let, let me investigate this 2016 one. While uh, do we have to? <laughs> Switch. Actually, what? what I should also make you watch is like the old. Was it 39? I don't remember what year. The old Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, it's really very good. It was really very scary, actually. Is this like a independent film? <laughs> I don't this know. Odd. <laughs> well, on IMDb, it only has 4.3 stars. Oh. A university chemistry professor discovers chemical that turns flesh and blood invisible. When he tests it on himself, it not only turns him invisible for long periods of time, but slowly begins turning him into a man. So yeah, that's the classic thing. But then, oh, did they? Fi- this is odd. Did they film this already? Maybe because okay. So here we'll get into the dark universe now. Because okay. I did not see. I saw parts of Dracula Untold. I don't know if I was watching it with Dad, or if I just saw parts of it because he had it on. 
Um, I don't think he even liked it, which is saying a lot. Yes. Because, because not not to insult insult him, but um, he he liked the classic monster stuff. So rather than th- these newer iterations of them that are more like troubled and and emotionally like dramatic, he just liked the idea of these monsters. And yeah, I think most most guys, I think like the kind of like Godzilla stuff and like yeah. I have friends that really like the Godzilla movies and everything. Um but there was a attempt after the Dracula movie, I guess maybe made them enough money or something. They thought, okay, we'll do this dark universe idea. But they're trying to bring back all their universal monsters. Yeah, it was it was to bring them back and to do somewhat of uh, a version of like what Marvel did, where they all live in the same thing, and I mean that's because of that and Costello stuff. Right, it, it's not. There was a president for it, um, and but what's funny to me is that like you'd think if they did that then, and they understood that people understood this like funny version of it, mm-hmm. like it seems like almost like the, the creators back then understood these things better. I, I don't like, doubt it for some things. Because you to me, like what makes them dramatically impressive is having them be tragic, not having them be super heroic. Right. Like that's not it's not the mechanics of those stories don't work the same way. Right. So like it's not that it, it can't be like I don't really hate Van Helsing, but that is like what that is. Right. But uh, to me, why that works is they're all, excuse me, the, Ben Helsing is the superhero. Right. He's supposed to be the one that's been the monster killer. They did, like, the, where they had the Dracula's brides were these, like, harpies right. who were, like, kind of like mini bosses. <laughs> they were, like, henchmen. Which in the book, they were really pretty terrifying, too. And, and the, that he the most. eventually becomes, spoiler for, a, a over ten year old movie, Van uh, Helsing eventually becomes the Wolfman at the end of that. Oh, does he? And fights, I didn't know that. And fights Dracula. Um, but if there's this idea that I think that he is like a reincarnated version of Van Helsing because Dracula keeps calling him by another name, and it's like uh, there's like they have this storied history, right? Because Van, Van Helsing either, has know. either like every generation of Van Helsing goes after Dracula. Right. Or he does get reincarnated to come out. Like, it's literally been an age-old thing between right. the two of them. So they, they played it very much like, almost like Hellboy. Okay. Like, this is just like a kitschy shoot 'em up thing that yeah. happens to have these monsters. But, like, Dracula's very intimidating. The actor that they got was pretty good. Uh, I don't remember his name, but... Um, and Frankenstein is actually a good guy. Like, they oh. find him, and he's just kind of like this, like... They play him more like a gentle giant right. type character. And it's kind of cute. Kind of more he... like the young Frankenstein version of Frankenstein. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. So he's kind of just like there. And that I, I like that was kind of admirable. I think that the maybe the special effects might not have aged well. And then there, I think there are people that like, uh, it's not like the best movie. Okay? Right. But I, I, for what it is, mm. it knows what is it doing. Right. With the Dark Universe, they did not know what they were doing. No. Because what they chose to do, and and it's so sad to me because all the other 
proposals to me for what they were going to do were so much better than what the first what one that they did. Doing. Yeah. Because they did the first movie was The Mummy, which on paper I think Sophia Batella was an interesting choice for it. But like I was saying, what what was for those of you who haven't seen it, I've watched like reviews of it that detail what the plot was. The idea was that Sophia Batella was a um her character was a Egyptian princess or some type thing. And it's a very like muddy like they were saying that the plot her plot didn't really make sense. Like because she like kills the prince but then gets trapped in this thing. And so her there's like flaws with whatever that plot is. But then the direction that they go with it is a mixture of a superheroic thing where it's like almost like Sahara meets um Sahara meets American Werewolf in London. So there's a character who is like the con characters in Sahara, mm-hmm. where they're just kind of like, you know, kind of like mercenaries, kind of like treasure hunters, and maybe not as charming as the characters in Sahara. Right. Because I, I actually it's like not that Matthew McConaughey. It's not Matthew McConaughey and Steve Zahn. Right. And those, you and need the, that. You need those guys to be Sahara because there's so, yeah, no so limit t- on that. Tom Cruise is kind of like Tom Cruise in it up. And is like swarthing and charming and stuff. It up. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a verb now. Um, but then, and there's kind of those like mission, like they kept showing the thing in the trailer with like the plane, so they were trying to make it look like Mission Impossible, right? Almost. And then he gets cursed by something, and then I was saying that like his friends. Spoilers, if you want to check this out, please don't. Um, his friend dies, but then keeps showing up to him. Like half, like a zombie almost, and like they're trying to get laughs out of it, but it's like this is not the same movie as American Werewolf in London. You yeah. can't do like there's all these like the point of that is supposed to be that he failed in American Werewolf in London. The main character failed his friend, right? And so you get that it's regret for being being a coward and and running away when he gets eaten by a werewolf. But in this one, it, it's just kind of trying to do that humor without understanding what made that work. And then also in American Werewolf in London, it's more about, he has even like other like kind of trippy visions and stuff. And that heightened the creepiness of, you know, like and, it, and it's edited and directed in such a way that it builds the tension. So there is humor, but it's more to humanize the characters. It's not just trying to do a Marvel superhero movie in juxtaposition with this weird mummy thing right. that's going on. And then they do that whole like mummy zombie thing again, which I think they that popped up. That's another thing is that the other mummy movies I think did what they did well. Yeah. Because it was kind of more like an Indiana Jones right. type it, thing. It was a lot more Indiana Jones and it was a lot more mysterious, we're not really quite sure why this thing is killing people, you're disturbed uh-huh. by slumber. Yeah, and it's more, yeah, it's definitely more like this is a family-friendly uh, horror adventure thing. Right. It's not so the, it's not trying to be super creepy, mm-hmm. and it's it's not trying to be like, they, and I think it also I think with each movie got more like they upped the ante. Yeah. Whereas like each movie is not a superhero level thing. No. The first one I think is very much a 
kind of like a not a satire, but like a a take on the first one, right? And then they kind of go from there, right? In in the different levels of it. So I I don't think I've ever actually sat down and watched those, but like that one from what I've seen of them, it seems like something I would enjoy watching. Whereas with Mummy, it's like I don't know what you're doing. Yeah. And if I don't know what you're doing, I know nobody else knows what you're doing. But this is a picture because they they felt they felt real proud of themselves before they before Mummy even came out. They Johnny Depp a, was in that. Yeah. So uh, I'll uh, uh, allow me to explain. Oh, these were going to all be the different monsters. Yes. Yeah, they they announced that was another thing is that studios announced movies before. So was Johnny Depp Dracula? But come on, Jimmy. <laughs> I'm okay. Let me have this. So no, that's not so here. Because I think. The other Dracula did not do so well. I think that's what it was. They tried to do the whole origin story thing, and that didn't work. So rather than do it that way, they went with this direction. But they just pretended that he's not a part of it from the beginning. Like they didn't. They did this picture. Yeah. And Tom Cruise is the new mummy, so I don't even know why Hotel is in here. But they nobody knew that yet, I guess. Um, Russell Crowe is Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde. And like I said, the special effects that I saw from that were not uh, fun. Um, but then Johnny Depp was supposed to be um, the Invisible Man. Oh. And I think Javier Bardem was supposed to be Frankenstein. Oh, I would have watched that. would have been pretty cool. Or what, what, I don't know if it's Frankenstein or the Wolfman. I think it was Frankenstein. But I'm just like, why do you start with... This weird version of the mummy. Right. When you like, could have had Javier Bardem Birdem as the Frankenstein monster. What in the world? Or right. is he supposed to be Dr. Frankenstein? Let, 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 while I explain. Allow me to look this up. But I think what what happened and who's was... who's Dracula? Or do they not do Dracula? That's what I'm saying. I don't. I think they just decided, well, we'll wait oh, okay. to do Dracula. Which might have... It's kind of like... Um, I think what they're thinking was like when they rebooted... Batman. Mm-hmm. They gave Christopher Nolan a movie to prove that he could do it. Everybody liked it. Yeah. And they did the Joker. Right. So I think that's kind of oh, okay. like, let's try this out. Let's not let's not jump into put Dracula in something that let's might not Let's not ruin go. Dracula. Because, you know, um, people have already. No, who I want to play Dracula is um, the guy that was the evil butler on Downton Abbey. Uh-huh. Because I think he would oh. be an awesome Dracula. Yeah. Yeah. So he I, he was supposed to be Frankenstein, which I think is his. Like, because in in No Country for Old Men, he was that kind of lumbering. Right. Like his his he was physically intimidating. Yeah. Uh, in and he's that. actually fairly physically large. Like, because he was in he was the the weird guy in one of the Bond movies too, right? Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. he was fit. Like, if you can look him phys- physically intimidating next to Daniel Craig. You are physically intimidating. <laughs> like, yeah, he was scary. So I like it's interesting because I don't want to. I don't want to undo. Like it's been so many people have mocked it because because it's so sad when a, a studio is so confident about something right. like that and then, and then just completely so goes away. Um, but that idea worked in the Mummy. They were able to have fun with it in the original. Like the the this Abbott and Costello thing, like you can do stuff with it that is funny or that is different, like that, and more 
like family friendly and stuff like that and more like with that they were trying to do just kind of super like it's not that it can't be done yeah but you need to understand how these characters work is if you're gonna make a monster movie make a monster movie and i think that's the thing is that what why we liked like i would meet frankenstein is that the monsters themselves did not change no they worked on them. They kept them the way that they, they are. They kept exactly what they were. And I think that there's things plot-wise, like we were saying with the, the one Dracula scene, he can be made to just do whatever you need him to do. But the acting needs to work, and the characters themselves need to remain essentially who they are. Yeah. And so that's why Van Helsing, I think, works, because it's... Yeah, your, they're still who they are. Yeah, it's just somebody fighting them who is more of that traditional hero character. Um, so yeah, I really like, uh, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Yeah, I think fun. if you like horror comedy stuff, uh, even if it's more modern, I think you'll still appreciate. So do you that. think you would ever write a monster story like that? Um, uh, I do, I think because those archetypes speak to me mm-hmm. on, a, on a certain level, it would be. Because, like, I, I had toyed around with, um, a few years ago, I was going to do a zombie comic, because it, it was kind of in yeah. fashion at the time. But then, what it eventually became was, oh, what I really want to do is, it, rather than do Frankenstein, werewolf, and whatever, uh, what I was doing was... Oh, that's right, you had the... Yeah, the vampires were, like, addicts, mm-hmm. and... Zombies, it was kind of a meta to me. It was, yeah, they were a lot more metaphorical. Yeah, so the there was a character who had Down syndrome, and what I wanted to show was it wasn't that I was equating those things because that's stupid, but the idea is how she deals with her emotions is to shut down. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's also something that comes across in the Frankenstein story is that rather than deal with his problems, um, Dr. Frankenstein runs away, yeah. And like uh, the the there was one channel I was watching that was criticizing it, and they were saying not that it's necessarily a bad thing, but that that's kind of like a female rather than just run into the problem. Right. It was kind of showing this more passive uh, main character. Right. And it was interesting because you get the pursuit. Right. And that's what makes it frightening. Right. Um, but. I think, like, if I return to them, and I'm thinking about reworking uh, White Devil is the name of the story. I'm thinking of reworking that into modern iterations of those characters because I think that there is a... I like those essential aspects of the character and how innately people respond to those representations in media. Like, there's this inherent thing of, like, oh, that's a vampire, and... I like slash am afraid of that. <laughs> um, and my, my friend shout out to Jason Farron. He has a, I'll, I'll say a secret project that is about monsters right now. And he's working on, he's going through the drafts of the, uh, cause it's a comic mini series that he's working on. And it's, um, I'll say that it's vampire related. Um, but uh, he's very much working on that more modern take on this thing. And, uh, I, one of the reasons why he was the one he was the one I was working with on the zombie comic. His creature design is amazing. Is amazing. Yes, and I'm really rooting for him. Art. 
um, to you know make it make it big and and have people uh, pay attention to his art. Uh, so Jason Farron, look him up on uh, Instagram. He actually just uh, joined um, Instagram. I think it's Farron underscore comics with a X. Um, so follow him on Instagram. Spell and, it out though, because I don't. Yeah, yeah. So let me, I'll look it up. But um, but yeah. So I, I think so. Has has there been something that you uh, worked on, even if it was like a school assignment or something, that was uh, around any of those monsters, any of the classics? Um, I can't say that there was. I mean, I've written like basically fan fiction about Dracula because uh-huh. I love Dracula lots, mm-hmm. but nothing serious uh, about any of it. It was very, I don't know, silly, mm-hmm. personal nonsense. But, oh, but but that's what's funny is that. I won't call him out by name, but my fiction teacher in high school was dead set against us writing genre stuff. Oh, really? And he would just crap all of it. Uh, and it was just like those of us that really liked yeah, doing it stuff. were just like, what's your problem, bro? Yeah. Like, like this I, is I would much more appreciate somebody that would show you because it was How much... How to write genre well. Yeah, it was much more of a it was very prejudicial. Yeah. Later, it actually came out that this teacher was um, corrupt. Oh. I forget what he did, but whatever he was doing, it was not nice. And he uh, got fired, so screw you. But uh, <laughs> um, but the, what what's interesting about that is that I think that when you have that prejudice against this type of story, rather than educating the person, like, okay, if you want people to take your stuff seriously there's going to be a barrier for you because there are certain readers like myself, like if I'm, if I'm this teacher who don't, who have written it off. So like understanding that that's a thing is better than just telling the person, like, don't write this kind of stuff in right. my opinion. Um, but yeah, there, there well, was stuff. I mean, I guess you could kind of count the undead mermaid thing as a monster, but that's, uh-huh. That's only if you do the monster version of mermaids. Not everybody thinks of oh, them right. that way. But yeah. it is interesting that you went there. <laughs> yeah, like because I don't like I don't generally write horror anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the scary characters that I, so like for example, a lot of people would consider Iron Sorcerer a scary character, not necessarily in the short story that I'm writing, uh-huh. but the way that I played her uh-huh. because it was a very. Um, I think what what's it. it dystopian, I am going to do I don't everything think, that I need to do. I don't, I don't think you naturally go for characters who are pathological. Yeah. You normally go after characters, like uh, the one thing that you're working on is much more a character like yourself yeah. or who is... Not uh, psychotic or... Yeah, it, like they're neutral at best. Like they're not evil or there's not an underlying... Like there might be a, they might have flaws, flaws, but they're not. But they're not necessarily bad. Um, but with, but you tend to go more away from, like I would say the two things that describe Iron Sorcerer are pragmatic and intimidating. Yes. And so you don't gravitate towards characters that are, you don't usually try get gravitate towards ones that are intimidating, and it's funny to me that you think of her more towards that and like she is more pragmatic but she doesn't do things that are wrote evil right or whereas ever since i wrote Cain and abel i have flirted now back and forth with doing 
And it's funny because my second, I wrote one that I'm editing now. Oh, and uh, anyway, I'll talk about that later. But um, uh, I'm editing Childish Things right now. And it was kind of like I had to create a character that was a much more hopeful in the second thing that I wrote. Because it's like, I can't stay in the head of somebody no, who's just horrible. messed up. Um, but I, I actually find myself writing... What, like in, in both of them, there are characters who are cynical, and then there are characters that are more hopeful. And so, even in those um, things that I write, usually I, I default to that where it's the kind of like the angel and the devil on my shoulder, and trying to write both both perspectives. And uh, since like watching Breaking Bad, that was very influential to me as a writer. I, it was interesting to me that it was like showing, having you sympathize with a character who is very pathological and getting you to the point where you can't forgive that character yeah. anymore for what they're doing. You're like, no, you're done. Yeah. Too many, too many bad decisions. Um, and uh, the, so yeah, so that I, uh, ever since then I have written that way, but it, it seems like I kind of do what you do where there are, there's a part of exploring the the really really dark this, like, side, darker side, and and the the thought processes, or, or and and even I think Gargantua as a world is much more unforgiving yeah. than uh, the the world played, where there are characters that are good and characters that are bad, and the environment doesn't seem as like terrifying. <laughs> yeah, like Gargantua, I guess the Iron Sorcerer needs to be what she is to survive. The place right. she grew up in, it's and that's like, a better way to do it. If you yeah. just have, like, a, a what do you call it? Like these fluffy bunnies and rainbows. She's that. Yeah, I was gonna say problems. like what? Who framed Roger Rabbit? Yeah. Where it's like, uh, 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 you know, this gritty character in the middle of like, a cartoon universe. Um, if you're doing that and you don't realize that you're doing it, yeah, then, then a that's a problem. <laughs> it works when you're doing it on purpose, but you know. So uh, before I sign off, I'll say two things. One, Farron Comics on Instagram. It's F A. R R E N underscore C O M I X. Uh, so follow him and I like, should probably like add every him post to my Instagram because I like his stuff a lot. Yes. <laughs> um, oh, and uh, also Floating Rocks that, that I just saw that they posted a, a story. Um, their Floating Rocks comics is well, I, I'm, I'm definitely going to shout them out because they uh, like a lot of like I saw them like stuff that Matt was doing. Oh, nice. So it seems like they're very good at um, supporting other to. independent uh, artists that are that are doing well. So floating, it's all lowercase letters, floating rock comics. They're doing a thing called the herd, that is a prehistoric vampire uh, comic, um, and so that it looks interesting. <laughs> yeah, um, and it's like it's like a uh, I think it's like a Native American tribe that has to deal with uh, these vampires um, that are another kind of faction. Mm -hmm. um, and then, uh, uh, so uh, shout out for our Twitch channel. Well, two shout outs, I guess. One, I'm going to start trying to stream at noon with uh, editing, writing, and then I'll be reading Dracula. Um, and I think I'm going to be doing Monday, Wednesday, Friday uh, on that. So tune in on twitch.com slash, or sorry, twitch.tv slash John underscore Matos, M-A-T-O-S. 
and then uh, we're coming up on the November third. We're yes, going to do extra, extra life. life. Uh, our team is unboxing story, so please donate to Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Um, so, yes, Philadelphia, right? Yes, yeah. Um, and uh, tune into our stream. We're going to try to do twenty four hours. I'm gonna he's going to try to do twenty four hours. Hey, he, yeah. So uh, our thing is, we're going to be doing for the first half of the day video games. I'm going to try to uh, from midnight to uh, like around midday. Be doing Rocket League and Fortnite, and then we're going to be doing uh, different uh, RPGs. Yeah. At, uh, so from noon to about nine, I think we have three RPG sessions planned, hmm. and then from nine till Glenn kicks us out of the store, we're going to be do whatever games we still have enough brains left to yeah. play. But perhaps it will just be me alone and in my adult uh, slash vegetative state. But um, <laughs> uh, please uh, watch the stream. Uh, please donate, and thank you for uh, listening. Oh, also, if you want to support us on Patreon, we uh, are patreon.com slash thinkoutsidethebox. You'll get access to our random media minicast where we pull out um, random books, uh, short stories, movies, TV shows, whatever, whatever bits from our childhood we wish to, to inflict upon the to, other. Yeah, <laughs> whether they are good or bad or neutral, Yes, we will... Uh, Torture each other with them. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you would like to uh, start a dialogue with us about any of the things that we have said on our podcast, uh, join us at unboxingstorypodcast at gmail.com. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. We'll talk to you later. Have a good night.